Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 311 of the podcast. It's the 5th of January, 2022, as I record this intro. And this week, Erica Ellis joins me to answer 10 questions about her unschooling journey. On previous episodes, Erica and I have talked about unschooling book clubs and self-care, but she's back to share more about her unschooling journey. We dive into the paradigm shifts that she made during de-schooling and how her and her husband's teaching work influenced their path. Erica also shares her experiences moving through the fears and discomfort that pop up as her kids grow older. And we talk about the exciting energy of the new year and how her self-care practices have changed over time. Through the whole conversation, the joy of her family's unschooling life shines through. Now, Erica also helps out a ton in the Living Joyfully Network community. She's a moderator. She runs the book club group. She takes copious timestamp notes in our weekly Q&A calls and shares them so members can quickly revisit specific discussions. Her presence in the network is invaluable. Thank you so much for all you do, Erica. And as the new year gets underway, it's been lovely to hear from members this week saying that one of the best things they did in 2021 was to join the network. It's amazing how validating it feels to connect with other parents who are embracing their unschooling journey with all its ups and downs. Our theme in the network this month is cultivating self-awareness, and we're exploring it through the lenses of curiosity and acceptance. After choosing to move to unschooling, it's not long before we begin to realize how much of the de-schooling work is ours to do. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, I'm sure you've heard this from any number of guests. Over months and years, we peel back more and more layers around this idea, coming to recognize how incredibly valuable self-awareness is. And self-awareness isn't a one-and-done thing because we truly do grow and change over time which means taking some time to more intentionally cultivate our self-awareness is a wonderful thing. The energy of the new year aligns beautifully with this process, and we are diving in deep. (laughs) So if you'd like to join us in the network community, check out the link in the show notes or just go to livingjoyfully.ca forward slash network. And before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. I truly appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support helps pay for the hosting and transcription, as well as my time spent creating new episodes each week. It's instrumental in keeping the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash exploring and schooling. And now here's my conversation with Erica. Well, 
Welcome, I'm Pamela Rickia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Erica Ellis. Hi, Erica. Hi, Pam. <laughs> now, you've been on the podcast before a couple of times, once talking about unschooling book clubs, another time talking about self-care, and now I'm really excited to have you back to actually focus in and talk about your unschooling journey. <laughs> I know it'll be different. <laughs> it will be. So to get us started, can you share with us a bit about you and your family? And I'd love to know what everybody's interested in right now. Sure. So my family is Josh, my husband, and I have two kids. Oliver is 12 and Maya is 10. And so Josh and I um, met when we were in film school, graduate film school. So we have that a shared interest in like film and television and storytelling and kind of like that intersection between technical and art you know like the Mm -hmm. the machinery and then the the storytelling so that's something we have in common um he is now a film professor and he's just so great at what he does he has so much enthusiasm and energy for it he's always excited to talk about filmmaking um his students love him and this past year he wrote his first textbook which is called the student filmmaker survival guide and it was just published so he just has a lot of passion for his work and his interests he's into video games especially those old games from his childhood like the old nintendo games um when i was just out in the living room he was playing his little tiny game and watch with the zelda on it oh yeah he's just loving that um like final fantasy things like that so Um, He also loves watching football, college football, Um, Seattle Seahawks are his pro team. So um, that's Josh. And then Oliver, who's 12, he um, he's very funny. He has a great sense of humor. He loves um, Roblox. He loves character design, especially like um, designing avatars. He loves humor. So he's always, you know, watching YouTube and TikTok with kind of an eye for what is funny and then making characters and developing characters, playing um, role playing with his friends, with the different characters and things like that. Um, He just got a new computer this past year. So he's kind of been um, I would say like exploring the potential of what he can do with his own computer. Google Maps is super fun, you know, exploring the world, finding new places. He's into space and planets, the sky. And um, so we do a lot of that, like going outside at night and, you know, looking. He likes to change the images on his desktop to be like cool planet pictures and things. Um, And then he also does a lot of pretend play, role playing type play with Maya at home. Um, and with his friends online, but they have so many different characters that they play with. They have these, I mean, it cracks me up, these different groupings of characters that they come up with. So they have a group called the famous TikTokers, which is like, I mean, seriously, 40 or 50 different characters that all have these backstories and are, they're, they're toys. Like some are squishies and some are plushies and some are like plastic dolls. And like, they all are together in this, thing that they have created called the famous tiktokers and they have all the among us characters that have these different um, personalities they have the army of babies they have the buzzy babies and the fuzzy babies they have (laughs) um, hammerhead and great white which are these shark puppets and so there's all these different scenes that they will replay they do video games with them they play board games with them and like they have all these very intricate stories so I just love it so much. I love overhearing it and all the personalities that they have in the backstories and they do the same thing online. So they have all these personas that they play on Roblox and in Minecraft and 
more Roblox now. Minecraft was when they were a little bit younger, but um, yeah, it's just a lot of imagination and a lot of humor and kind of storytelling things. Um, And so then Maya on her own, completely separate from Oliver is very interested in animals. So he doesn't really share that at all. Um, But she spends a lot of time um, thinking about how she would design an animal sanctuary, designing animal sanctuaries on planet zoo Um, She loves to be around people's pets, mostly from a distance. She's very cautious about actually being around animals, but um, she just loves observing them. And, you know, if she gets a chance to pet someone's pet, that's very exciting for her. We did foster kittens for a while, so she loved that. Um, She is amazing with the the zoo design, though, because these games are super complicated And she puts in the time to figure it out. She watches YouTube videos and just like, like the speed at which her skills have increased is just, it's really amazing. And she does the same thing on Sims, like designing pets and things like that. So um, she loves TikTok. She loves kawaii things. So like that kind of Japanese cute style she loves. Um, And she's very into food. (laughs) She's like, the other day she was like, why am I so happy today? Oh yeah, we got groceries. <laughs> I was like <laughs> cracking up because it, it's true. Like it just makes her day to have the abundance of all the foods that she loves. And so um, she's a big noodle and pasta person. So that, that's, I think it's part of her Japanese love to the ramen. So anyway, <laughs> and then there's me. Um, unschooling, I would say, is one of my major interests and um, connecting with friends online. I love, I'm a scanner, so I love diving down basically any rabbit hole of any interest. Um, I love singing and going for walks, being outside, watching birds. I continue to be super interested in self-care and learning about myself, nutrition, um, communication, emotions, things like that. Um, I like doing art and I like music. Um, there's this game on New York Times every day called Spelling Bee, which is kind of popular. It's like a word. You have to make words out of a random collection of letters. And I'm kind of like obsessed with that right now. When I wake up in the morning, I'm like, yay, it's a new day so that I can start this (laughs) word puzzle again. Um, And I play a lot of Roblox, actually. Also, I got really into Adopt Me and have an amazing apartment building that I designed there and a lot of pets. So Um, And then together, we all love traveling. We love eating at restaurants. We love swimming, going to the beach, um, playdates with friends. We love pizza. Um, We have a lot of shows that we like to watch together. And then also a lot of individual interests with with the shows we watch, too. So we have a lot of fun. (laughs) That was literally what I was about to say. It sounds like so much fun to hang out there. (laughs) Yes. Yes, with all the bits and pieces coming in, like, because you can see, you know, feel the flow, as in, like, you were talking about the things that you like to do together, and some of the interests that overlap, and then flowing apart to do the things that are more individual, and, you know, concentration to figure out, figure out the zoo um, apps and, and stuff like that. So it really brought such a beautiful feeling of or how all those things can kind of flow together in one family. That's really cool. <laughs> it is. I mean, that's what it feels like too, because we do have so many things that 
we all like, but then there are just also so many things that are like, no, that's her thing. And this is my thing. And that's Josh's thing. And, but we can kind of appreciate it about each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. Like it is, it's also interesting to chat with somebody when they're sharing about something that they're interested in, right? Because you can just feel the excitement and the energy of that and to just know, understand enough to understand the language of it, to appreciate the things when they want to share an accomplishment or a challenge or something that you can meet them, meet them there. But also, also, it's totally okay for somebody to have an interest that is mostly their own. Like, that's another fun energy to have. Like, ooh, this is mine. I'm diving into it. Right? Yeah, absolutely. That, that kind of distinction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So, I am curious to know how you discovered unschooling and what your family's move to unschooling looked like. Well, It was interesting because I had a very education heavy, education focused background. Like that was, it was not something that I would have thought I would get to unschooling based on, you know, where I came from. I always did very well in school. I didn't really question um, the way it worked. Um, I went to college and went to grad school in filmmaking and Eventually, I even had a teaching job. I taught high school science for a couple of years right before I I had kids. I just felt like I needed something that was not a freelance job. And so anyway, I had a lot of schooling, (laughs) very school focused life. And so you know, I just assumed that that's probably what life was, you know, that's what was going to happen. Um, And so when Oliver was born, I stopped working. That was always my plan. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom with him, you know, with my kids when they were little, at least. Um, And, you know, having him there was, that was a shift because then it was like, he knew what he needed. He knew what he liked. And it was obvious, you know, like we communicated right away. I communicated, you know, listen to this baby and he led us to co-sleeping, which I never thought I would do. And he, you know, he basically led us to attachment parenting because I could see when things were overwhelming to him or, you know, when he was uncomfortable and I could work to, meet his needs and have him feel good in his life. And so that kind of just became the path to follow. And, and the other things started to make less sense. So when I thought about, you know, putting him in preschool, when, when people started talking about that, I was just imagining what that would look like. And I couldn't see it working for him. And I mean, we never tried it, so I don't really know what it would have been like, but, but what it felt like is that, he didn't like doing what other kids were doing. You know, when we went to the playground, if all the kids were running over there, he would run over there because then there would be no one there. That's better for him. You know, he kept his distance from the other children because he didn't like, you know, the feeling that maybe they were going to attack him or, you know, it just kind of felt a little overwhelming to him when he was young. And so he didn't like loud or busy places. And I was just thinking back to school. I mean, especially elementary school and just like, the volume of the sound and the amount of action that's going on around. And I was like, he would be just so uncomfortable there. And I knew 
just knowing him so well, how amazing and perfect and wonderful he was. And I just thought that at school, he would probably be labeled as having an issue, you know, having multiple issues. I don't even know, but I didn't want there to even be a chance for someone else to label him like that. And for him to start thinking that there was something wrong with him. And so the first thing I found was project-based homeschooling, which was appealing to me because, you know, I knew about homeschooling as an idea, but project-based sounded good because it was like, it's focusing on what he would want to focus on. And so um, I did a lot of reading about that and didn't do much with it other than kind of to start to question things and learn about things. But somewhere within there, um, I remember the woman I was reading said some uh, project-based homeschoolers use curriculum for the rest of their you know, schooling and some are unschoolers. And I was like, oh, well, curriculum doesn't seem like it will work at all with this child, but what's unschooling? And so then that that's when I really started looking into that term. And I think I first found the um, always learning email list. And really soon after that, I they had mentioned your introductory email series. So I signed up for that. That really fit well with, you know, it made sense to me. And so then um, I just read all the books. I read John Holt and Alfie Cohn and John Taylor Gatto. And I was just like diving down the steep rabbit hole and getting super excited and, you know, telling Josh all the things I'm like, oh my God, like everything, you know, it's, it's like questioning so many of the things about my own growing up and my schooling. And so um, it really is hard to even remember though, all of like those ahas, because I just feel like my mind now is so different than it was at the very beginning that it's hard to, I don't know, it's hard to remember, but I'm still learning now, still finding more places to de-school. But neither of my kids have ever attended school and they've always chosen what they want to do with their time. They're really good at that. (laughs) (laughs) That is, that is fun to see. It's, it is something kind of revelatory for us, right? Because we are so used to school and being told um, what to do that to be able to use use your time and to choose how you how you use it that can be something that's challenging for us when our time opens up. So it is always so interesting to see them in action doing that, isn't it? Right. Yeah, it's something that I wouldn't have even thought was possible. I guess in a way. Like, what do children do if they're not being told what to do? You know, it's something you don't really get to see. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, thanks so much for sharing that kind of uh, journey, I guess, is the best word for it. But yeah, it's so fascinating to see um, that from being so um, immersed or enmeshed in kind of the school environment and then having a new person in our life and just seeing how well they know themselves from so early on and realizing that, you know, I don't think this is going to be a a great mesh for them. And then looking for other possibilities just to see, because when you see them, you know, just wholly who they are, it just, it makes a lot of sense when you peel back those layers of trying to look at them through various lenses of trying to get them to do this thing and trying to follow this timetable, et cetera, you really can, it's so much easier to embrace 
who they are and then start making choices that help support that. Does that make sense? Like to see, okay, there's something, you know, this isn't going to fit well, but I bet there are other possibilities, other ways Mm -hmm. that we can support them because we see how, how much they shine when they're supported in the ways that work for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like, it felt like kind of choosing that who he was, was more important than any of the things that I would want him to be able to do, or someone would want him to be able to do. And so, yeah, like choosing to trust that he will do what he needs to do in order to have the life that he wants to have. Yeah. 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 So cool. Now you mentioned de-schooling. So I'd be very curious to know when you were kind of in the thick of it. And as you said, it's not something that ever ends per se. (laughs) There are always new things coming up, new um, challenges to peel back layers around and to see what we really think about that. But kind of in the thick of it, in the bulk of the de-schooling, I'm curious, what were some of the most challenging paradigm shifts, you know, new ways of seeing things that you made? Yeah, I I think it was kind of a shock to the system at first. I really had to take a hard look at the way I had grown up and come to terms with damage that it had done to me. I hadn't really thought about it all that much before de-schooling. I knew um, something didn't feel right when I was teaching. Like it didn't feel like this is what these kids need. You know, there was an issue with it, but I still hadn't really deeply thought about how ingrained all of those schoolish beliefs were. And so I would say two big paradigm shifts come to mind immediately. One, the hugest one for me that I'm still unpacking probably is the idea of there being a right and wrong and the schoolish idea that we always need to have the right answer. It was, and it can still be terrifying to me to make a mistake, even though intellectually, I understand that making mistakes is a natural part of learning. But my experience in school was, it's better if you just always do everything correctly from the beginning, you know, and I really did not want to pass that belief on to my kids. It's so limiting to me now to have that baggage. And so And now I see that it even goes so much farther beyond that to peel it back to maybe there isn't even such thing as the right way. And maybe mistake isn't even a real thing. Maybe life is more nuanced than that. So, um, you know, now, now I can think it's safe to do something that doesn't turn out the way you wanted it to, and then regroup and then try something else. I remember Maya was really interested in the concept of happy accidents. We talked about like some inventions that were called happy accidents. And so, you know, if we're so focused on doing things the way they've always been done or trying to do things the right way, then we can't find these great new ideas or we can't grow and learn new ways to do things, better ways to do things. So it just, it was so powerful to question all of that. Oh man. I know it's, and it's something like you said, that still comes up, right? There's still that little bit of aversion. We just, yeah, at least for me, I just get a little bit quicker at recognizing mm-hmm. it and moving, being able to remind myself about happy accidents about, you know, we'll, we'll learn. I learned something new. It's another experience under my belt, like all those kind of quick phrases to remind myself, because if I don't, I kind of get caught in that tunnel vision and kind of spiral in the mistake and seeing all the ways that it went wrong 
versus recognizing the things that I can learn, the things that I can bring with me forward, the things that if I look at it through another lens is a happy accident, like, oh, so cool. Now I can do this. But if I'm stuck there, I don't see those things, right? It takes me longer and longer. So, but I still have ingrained that initial reaction, right? That reaction that's kind of not under our control, really, but it's just a lot faster to recognize it, right? Right. Well, I think in the beginning, the very beginning of parenting, like when I had that baby, I sometimes was paralyzed by the idea of having to make the right choice about every single thing, the right choice. And it still happens yeah, regularly, but it was, you know, it's a huge shift to realize or just to even consider maybe there's not a right choice and we can just try things. Yeah. Um, another shift that is totally related, but different is, is a belief that good parenting is about controlling because I feel like we have this picture in our society of like what a good child or a good parent looks like it's organized and calm and controlled. The food is carefully controlled and the children's behavior is controlled. And uh, I felt like having happily compliant children would be kind of like the goal of being a good parent. And I was a mostly happy and a very compliant child. So I figured that's just what parenting would be like if I did a good job. (laughs) So we're back to the right, wrong already. It's, it's all related. But when I had my babies, it was really natural to be very attuned to them and to respond to their communication. I trusted them and that they knew what they needed. And so as they grew into toddlers and then into school age, it didn't really make sense to stop listening to that and to start trying to control them. But the messages were all around that, you know, children should obey and be very responsive to the demands of the adults around them. And that just didn't feel good. And so once I thought about it more and read more about, you know, the idea of adultism or sometimes called childism, like it just made so much sense. I don't want to like, this is another human being, I don't want to be controlling another person. And that power over dynamic is disconnecting. Like that dynamic of mainstream parenting is very adversarial. And I wanted to be on the same team with my kids. I wanted my kids to have agency and a voice and to listen to themselves, their inner voice, their knowing. And by like talking over them and trying to control what they do, that takes so much away from their ability to listen to their inner voice. I, I mean, I feel like there are a lot of results of that just from the process, you know, my process of going through school, I feel like it damages them. Um, So that was one, it was a paradigm shift that didn't take a big shift in behavior for me. Like I, I never really was this super controlling parent, but it was, it was a mental, like a big aha mental shift. It was seeing the people around me going from this attachment parenting that we were all doing with, with our babies. And then they shifted to demanding so much more and controlling the kids as they reached the school age. And, and I just was like, wait a second, I don't want that happening to us. I want to keep, you know, the relationship, the focus, like it feels when, when you are attachment parenting with the babies, I wanted to take the kids seriously and to listen to them and not foster that power over relationship. 
It also helped. <laughs> it helped a lot that my kids are not compliant the way that I was as a kid. They really do both resist expectations strongly and are super clear about what they want to do and have always been so. So if control ever tried to creep its way in, they were very quick to remind me that that's not what we do. <laughs> and I think our lives could have been really different if their personalities were not the way that they are. Um, it's just super clear that they want to have agency and I'm grateful for those reminders when I need them. That's such a good point too. And that how, how personalities play into it as well. It is fascinating to think about um, the personalities versus, you know, as you were saying from the attachment parenting kind of circles early on, listening to them, trusting them, um, watching them, helping them, meet their needs and then kind of the school age comes in where now all of a sudden okay you know now they are now they are at a place where they can learn and I can bring my experience in and and I love the way you said happily compliant like that is like everybody's dream (laughs) that's how we envision it because they'll understand that I have their best interests at heart and that this truly is the best thing that for them to do the best choice to make like you're going to school so just get up happily and go because you know there's no choice in that matter like why get upset you know all these stories we kind of tell ourselves around it and so often it just doesn't unfold like that for us right with our with our kids the kids that are in front of us and um, to be able to peel back those layers, like you said, to and, and that shift to valuing their agency, right? Mm-hmm. And to supporting that. And then another layer to see, to see how not only value it, but to see the value to them. Like it feels like that paradigm shift from looking through my eyes to looking through my kids' eyes. And seeing how important and valuable it is through their eyes, not just because I didn't feel like arguing with them, you know, because I think at first unschooling can be seen by people as, you know, permissive or, you know, some of them, they get to do whatever they want, et cetera, because without the, the deeper understanding of how unschooling works, that's what it looks like from the outside, right? Because it's all about perspectives, right? So perspectives of people looking at what we're doing from the outside so they can they can feel like oh they're just lazy it's just like lazy parenting they can't be bothered to assert that control that power over because we all know what it should look like what it how a child should behave etc right so for us that paradigm shift from looking through our eyes um, and then seeing through theirs like so yes I want our eyes being kind of the intellectual understanding I want them to have agency and, and, you know, I want them to be able to make choices in their life and then see the next layer seeing through their eyes, how powerful that actually can be for them and how capable they are of doing it. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that, I mean, it's definitely the default to see things only through our eyes and what we want and how things should be. So it's easy for us or, you know, like it makes sense to us. And so, yeah, I mean, being able to to shift that gaze so that you're seeing like 
Right. That they're actual people too. And of course they, they would want to have agency just as I want to have agency over my own life. I mean, it's the same. They're people. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that that's a, a really valuable part of de-schooling is to start seeing that and seeing them in action because you start to see how their choices and their behaviors aren't just random. They really are rooted in who they are as a person and they start to make so much more sense. And that helps us start building trust in the process of unschooling, right? Because we're actually seeing it in action in our own family. So now kind of uh, moving through that bulk of de-schooling, and we've alluded to it a couple of times already, still challenges and fears can continue to bubble up here and there because that's life, right? There may be pieces of life that we haven't encountered yet. Um, Things just you know, go wrong here and there, go sideways. Um, and so often, like as we discovered there, so much of the, those paradigm shifts are us peeling back layers, are us, you know, working on ourselves. And we really do come to realize, don't we, that when these things bubble up for us, it really is so much about us and our work to do, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. All of the <laughs> all of the work of unschooling and deschooling is about us. That was definitely an amazing realization because it's like it's supposed to be for the kids, right? Yes. But no, it's <laughs> but fears are almost always, I feel like, a result of something unexpected happening or something that doesn't fit with that the perfect picture of what we thought things would be like. Maybe feeling like we should be able to control this thing that we cannot control and then we feel fear so like food fears or technology fears or how they spend their time or about their relationships with others their sleeping schedules how much time they spend outside there's so many I've heard so many fears that pop up for parents on this journey but it's always connected to something about us like we are feeling judged by people maybe or we imagine that we might be judged by people I feel like that's even more common than actually being judged Um, we might have baggage from childhood where something wasn't okay for us to do so why should it be okay for our kids to do it and then a big one I mean I I definitely fall in the trap sometimes of projecting fears into the future of what kind of adult my child will grow into if they're like this now they're going to be like this all the you know for their whole lives and that might be bad and I mean that's just a lot of borrowing trouble as Anna likes to say um but the thing about all the fears and challenges is that they disconnect us from what is actually happening. It's all, it's kind of like a thought experiment rather than like what is actually physically happening. And it makes it harder to see like who are the actual child is, who is this actual person and none of it, none of the fears and none of any of it is about unschooling. (laughs) It's just life. And it's, you know, our triggers from, from being children and, figuring out how to be in in a relationship a respectful relationship with someone who is not me (laughs) like that's just it's just challenging um I would say that most of the challenges that come up for me to work through they don't really feel like fear it's more like questions that pop up in my head like is this okay (laughs) or like should I be trying to control this and once I think through it controlling doesn't ever make sense it stops them from learning it disconnects our relationship but things like our sleep schedules or when they have conflicts with their friends or you know when I feel like they're 
eating only ice cream sandwiches or, you know, spending too much time on TikTok, like things, it can pop up in my mind as something that could cause fear if I let my thoughts go in this one direction, or it can be about being curious and playing around with the possibilities, listening to the kids themselves and finding out what the deal is. Um, And I just feel like putting the connection first is it's just always a good idea. And the kids learn so much more about themselves when I don't let that first quick response to want to control them be the choice that I make in that moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, I think part of that too is also not having the expectation that they're making choices for themselves and they're always going to work out well. You know what I mean? Like, so even um, maybe too much time on TikTok, we use that. Maybe eventually they feel like, oh, geez, you know, I, I feel like I've been spending so much time on this, you know, and, but with that connected relationship, there's a much better chance that we'll be, ha- we'll have that conversation, that they'll mention it in passing and that we can talk about it and help them like develop some tools if they want, if they're interested to explore that. Or maybe they're just going to be observing it for now and noticing it. But it's now that they have noticed it, it's going to be more top of mind for them. So they're still maybe they're making continuing to make those choices, but they're gaining more experience. And now they're like, okay, so maybe what am I missing? What would I do instead? You know, those kinds of questions help them process and move through it. And so much of it is learning about the process and gaining experience with the process of moving through challenges, just like we are gaining experience with when the challenges bubble up for us, right? Exactly. I mean, it's, yeah, it's the exact same. It's, yeah, it's, it's exactly <laughs> the same as it is for us because we're all people and we're all learning about what works for us. And I see it happen all the time where they will say, oh, that was too much ice cream. You know, it happens. But I would I do the same thing myself, you know, like I do too much whatever on some days, too much spelling bee game on New York Times, whatever it is. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to, you know, and, and I can say in retrospect, oh, you know, I probably should have moved my body a little bit before I felt like this, but then they're having that same experience when it happens to them and, and someone else telling me to stop or telling them to stop doesn't, it doesn't help anything. It doesn't help us learn what works for us or, and it just makes us resent, you know, not having the agency. So Exactly. So I'd be curious to know what your husband's journey to unschooling uh, has looked like. Like, was this a new idea to him? How did that move forward? Yeah, I mean, I do think he had heard the term before we had children. He definitely knew about homeschooling, um, but I think he would have thought it's this weird fringe thing. We didn't really think that much about it before we had kids. Um, We both did well in school, but his experience in school was really different than mine. Like I was, I bought in, I wanted the grades, you know, like I did all the things to that I was supposed to do. And, and for him in school, it was much more about following his own interests, making it work for him. He wasn't worried about the grades. He, if he didn't want to do homework, he didn't do homework, but somehow he still, 
I think with his like enthusiasm and attitude, he made it work in a way, you know, like in college, he designed his own major so that he could take the classes he wanted to take. He, you know, made sure to include a ton of physical education courses in college because that was fun for him. Like his choices were much more driven about like driven by what he liked where my choices were driven by what do people want to see? What am I supposed to do? You know, how can I get the best grades? Like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I asked him about it, he described it as he just saw through anything that felt like bullshit to him and would disregard it. And so um, when it came up, when Oliver was a toddler and we were talking about it, he took to the idea of unschooling immediately. He has a really easygoing personality. Um, I do a lot more research about the kids and things. And so if I think something's a good idea, he's like, I'm game, you know, so that part's easy. Um, But it also, he said it just made sense that humans are wired to learn and they don't like to be told what to do. And he knew that he could not be coerced into learning about things that didn't interest him. That's why he hated parts of school. And so he embraced unschooling right away. And it's really fun to see now um, because he's become quite passionate about it in his own way. Like it really influences the way that he teaches in at his college and it ripples out from there. Like he, you know, I feel like it affects the other professors in his department, the way that he views things. And so it's just kind of, it's amazing and exciting to see um, like how that happens, how it ripples out from, from just us making our choices. Um, But he, you know, he puts the students interests first. He always lets them know that he's going to help them do what they want to do. He has removed testing completely from his um, program it's all about having conversations with them and them um, like analyzing their own work and things like that. So like really making it about them and their experience. And it all feels really natural to him. He's really bothered by anything the college tries to do that isn't about putting the students first and their needs first. And so I would say he's, um, he's a big fan of unschooling at this point. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. I love that. And I love the way he's finding ways to bring that understanding into his days, into the work, because he seems like he's really excited about his work too, right? And enjoys engaging with the students. I mean, that would definitely be kind of an essential component of moving away and moving towards moving away from the testing and the that kind of uh, extra structure and moving towards connecting with them and having conversations, et cetera. So yeah, that's really cool to hear. About. Yeah. It's very fun to listen to the stories about the students and, you know, like they're coming from this usually straight out of high school, yes. super rigid, being told what to do every step of the way. And then they get to him and he's like, Oh, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You get to choose. And they're just like, what? And so he kind of works them through that initial resistance and, all of the questions of like, is this going to be on a test or what do we have to remember? And he's just like, it's not about that anymore. This is life now. It's not like that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I can imagine that being quite a shift because that is definitely a new approach for, I would imagine most of the students, right? (laughs) Yes, definitely. Yeah. So I'm curious whether there has been a time, I suspect there's been a time when one of your kids um, 
their interests and the things that they're into has stretched your comfort zone. So I just thought maybe we could walk through uh, one of those times that people can get an idea of how you approached it. Yeah, I think, I mean, I do trust that my kids know themselves so much better than I do. So I have never had like a desire to quash their interests necessarily, but I will say that their interests are definitely not my interests. And so it takes intention to stay engaged with them and to find ways to support them when it's just not at all my thing. I would say that um, TikTok, when that first came up as a strong interest, it bothered me. It it can feel like sensory overload to me to try to watch TikTok. And it just seemed like they could watch for hours. And it just, I was, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Like, what are you getting out of this? And I felt uncomfortable with some of the content on there. It seems really superficial or really focused on certain body types or these fashion looks and everyone's using these filters. And it kind of feels like being a voyeur in a lot of ways. So I just wasn't really excited when Maya was so interested in it. Um, but I did stay mostly open and curious about it and have grown to see a lot of what she gets out of it. I've seen that they, you know, Oliver and Maya both, they find what it is that they like within it, despite all the noise, where for me, I was kind of like distracted by all this noise like it's just like so there's so much there but they find these things they found craft ideas they find experiments to try and recipes and they find these hilarious videos that we all are laughing about and dances to learn and they learn tips about the video games that they like they found new video games to try there's it's there's just so much there and I think I don't know what it is but they they are much better at navigating that like the the, that there's all this abundance, they aren't overwhelmed by that. And so I've seen Maya do these little like gotcha club animations that she posts. They've learned more about video editing and working with sound and music. And there's just a lot of thought that goes into it. And they really do find the things that are cool to them. And for me, it still feels like a really intense and, and kind of confusing format, but I appreciate it for them in a way that I didn't before. Um, I think it's also been interesting to see how they figure out their relationship with scary things because I'm super sensitive to scary things. So I never was really trying to to stop them from diving into to those types of things, but I just can't do it myself. I get too scared. So things like Five Nights at Freddy's, I'm I don't know. I just can't watch it. But they're able to show me and tell me about things that they like about it without me needing to like fully participate in the same way that they do. Like I can listen about it. They'll show me some pictures or screenshots. They'll ask questions about things. Um, And they, you know, they love that I am interested (laughs) in this kind of like side way. Um, I've acquired all the plushies of those characters, which they use a lot for their pretend play. I know all the characters and understand the world. Um, And then I've also seen, how they deal with it when it's too scary for them. There, there was this time that was so hilarious. They were like, um, they had the the game, this FNAF Five Nights at Freddy's game set up in the office on the computer, and they were down the hallway in at the back of the living room so they could still see the screen, but it was like this big and they're way back there because the jump scares are like terrifying. And so they needed to be super far away to be able to handle that, but they were so curious about it and still wanted to try it and play it. And so, so it was just cool and it was funny. And 
it was cool that they were making it work for them and enjoying the interest in a way like progressing through it in a way that felt safe for them. And I mean, that's kind of how, how all the interests feel. It's like, I trust that they know like how much they can handle. And then I'm just there to do as much, I guess, participate as much as I can handle with, with their interests. And I think them seeing you um, just embrace your limits and figuring out ways for you to engage with them gives them that safe space to figure out ways for them to engage. If it felt more adversary, mom's not really comfortable. She doesn't want anything to do with this. I feel like they could also feel that as pressure to like fully engage, not watch it from down the hallway. Right. Cause I got to show mom that like, I really like this and I can handle it even though, you know, she's not comfortable with it. And right. it's just that subtle pressure um, when that we can bring with, with our attitude, with our energy, energy is probably a, a good way to describe it. Right. Yeah. But see, that's, that's, another layer of it's all about ourselves as we work through it. Like, cause with unschooling, sometimes we can feel pressure. Oh, we need to fully support everything, everything. Right. Mm-hmm. And that we need to kind of turn ourselves off or shut down pieces of ourselves in support of our kids. Right. Right. But, and it's, that's a fascinating piece. That's the dance. That's what we learn about ourselves because but we also don't want to set up the dichotomy. It's not like, you know, we have to martyrly do everything and fully support everything uh, and shut ourselves, pieces of ourselves down to do so. We can bring pieces of ourselves. Yet, that that's the nuance is to really understand ourselves so that you, so instead of saying, no, I don't want to be involved because I don't, you know, that's too scary for me, legitimate, you know, perspective. But to figure out that I can do snapshots, I can do plushies, I can do conversation, like all those pieces. So that is learning more about ourselves, peeling back those layers to really figure out what's comfortable for us as a person, rather than closing things down. Like that's the whole kind of comfort zone thing in a nutshell, I think, like, cause that it, it is malleable. Like we can stretch pieces and it's part of us discovering where we can stretch and where something is just feeling too tight for us right now. And that's okay. Um, and, and sharing that, but fine, maybe over in this direction, I can push a little bit. I can mm-hmm. do the pictures. I can do the plushies. I like hearing about the world, mm-hmm. you know, all those different aspects. So there's so much nuance in there, isn't it? But there's so much value when you peel, kind of peel back those layers. If this is something that's super interesting enough that they want to put time in and engage with this, um, it's worth our time. That's the trust piece that we trust that they're getting something interesting out of it. And it's worth our time and effort to put into that work of ourselves to find ways that we can support, ways that we can engage, because that strengthens our connections, maintains our connections, helps us learn more about them. And they learn more about us in that process, too. Right. It's just it's that focus on relationships instead, isn't it? Right. Yeah. And. And I feel like it's going back to the right and wrong thing too, because if we just go in straight away with like 
the way we're viewing this is right, the way they're viewing it is wrong, then there's the reason for them to rebel and want to do even more. And, you know, there's, there are so many layers to it. And so I think it is like, we just have to be super intentional and shift away from, you know, only seeing things from our eyes and our perspective, and this is right, and this is wrong, or that's bad, um, to just, yeah, see what they're seeing out of, you know, seeing from those interests. And I don't know, I learn a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that piece, I love that, the taking it back to the whole right wrong, my perspective's right, um, versus theirs, because again, then, then they get locked into, you know, the feeling that it's wrong. And then they have, they feel like they have to, they can feel like they have to lean in more. Like we we're talking about a little bit earlier, like I need to sit there and I need to move through it. And you, I feel like there's so much less creativity in there. It makes it a right, wrong, black, white, do this or don't do this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But in the middle of it, there is just so much room to creatively play in ways that mesh, uniquely mesh with us as people. And there's just so much more richness and fun in there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just remembering with the scary stuff also, like, um, when Josh was like, have you heard about Squid Game? And I was like, yeah. And I had read a couple articles, which is usually my way. Like I'll read the plot in an article rather than watch something that seems like it'll be scary. And Maya pipes in, she's like, I've watched it. And we were like, what? And so she had learned about it from, from TikTok and she was interested. And so she had watched a couple episodes and Josh is like, it's not too scary to you. She's like, no. And then she wanted to tell me the whole storyline. And he was like, well, don't ruin the plot for, for mommy. She hasn't watched it yet. And I was like, I'm not going to watch it. She could tell me the whole thing if she wants. And so it was really fun because that she got to tell me. So in episode one, this is what happened. And I got to know the whole story without having to subject myself to something scary. <laughs> right, right. That's part of her understanding you and help and sharing her excitement and joy in ways like I'm sure the way she described it to you uh, meshed reasonably well with how she knows you like to receive yeah. that kind of story, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so what so far has surprised you most about how unschooling has unfolded? Yeah, I feel <laughs> I feel like I could have a lot of answers to that. <laughs> um, what popped up first is just how well unschooling works for things that I feel like mainstream parenting schooling society would have you believe that that's not possible. So what I'm thinking of is like, you know, had Oliver gone to school, he probably would have been um, diagnosed or, you know, been recommended to various therapies and things. He, You know, a lot of children have to have the like social group practice or, you know, this different occupational therapy to, to improve their skills in, in different areas. And so it was, it was an exercise in trust to, to believe that he knew what he could do and that he knew that edge where he would be then moving forward in his development. Um, but I just kept seeing evidence that he knew. And so like, you know, with speaking, he was a little bit late speaking, but I could see his understanding increasing so much. And I could see, you know, like I could see the progress, even if it was not the way people thought it should be. And then it really happened that way with everything. So like earlier I was talking about how um, he was afraid of the children at the playground. 
he's not anymore. And that was a progression that made a lot of sense for him. Like he went from that's way too intimidating. I'm going to stay with you the entire time to, you know, that child doesn't look too scary, like kind of watching what they're doing. You know, it just, it was this very gradual thing where, you know, now he is, he's good at speaking to even adults that are unfamiliar to him and he can answer questions and he is really good at navigating social things in his friend group. And, um, you know, kids love to be friends with him. He has a lot of expertise in, in the video games that he knows about. Um, younger kids always think he's just this most amazing, cool guy ever. And so, you know, at the beginning, I could have thought this, this isn't going to work. Like we need to have some kind of therapy in order for him to develop, you know, into an acceptable form of a person, you know, the way society um, expects him to, but um, it, it has been amazing. Maybe not totally surprising because I was believing strongly in unschooling, but it is amazing um, just how, how well it works. Um, for the kids to really like develop the skills that they need in the way that makes sense to them so that they feel good about themselves. And, um, you know, it's not, it's not about memorizing a way to, to interact with people. Like he figured out his way to interact with people and it works. So I don't know. I, I love it. And I feel like I'm just, I'm so grateful that that was the path that we chose to go on because I feel like he got to the places that someone would want him to get to, but on his terms and feeling good about himself. Yeah. Yeah. So not only in his way, but also in his time, right. Right. That, that the typical timetable that, you know, conventionally we feel we need to get everybody in lockstep with, really doesn't have to be that way that our kids can have their own ways to approach things their own um speed you know just just everything and how i guess capable how capable they are of doing it and figuring it out for themselves it, that is yeah that is a big big difference because when you first start or when people first hear about it it's like that just seems so utterly foreign right <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, you get the message. I mean, it's everywhere. The message that, you know, early intervention is the key, you know, like if you don't yeah. get them to be on this path at this time and this at this speed, that later it will be too late. Like that's the feeling and that's a scary feeling. And so, I mean, it does take trusting, trusting them, um, But yeah, I think that it's just so valuable about unschooling. The other thing that I thought of with the surprising is just reading, like just watching reading happen is one of the most amazing things of my whole life. I was a very early reader and my kids were not, but it was like, you just don't see it. You don't get to see like how a human naturally learns how to read without instruction. And so um, watching them, um, Maya, Maya one day was like, she's like, I used to, I used to look at things and be like, whatever. But now when I look around, I, all I see is the letters. 
<laughs> she's like, why am I noticing letters everywhere now? It was like, she really noticed the difference in her brain of like, before she didn't see them, now they're everywhere. And so she's like, I just find myself, I'm just trying to read everything now. And she was a little bit frustrated about it because I think life before was a little simpler without all these words everywhere. But that was one of her stages. And then, you know, recently she's had the stage where she's just like, I guess I know how to read now. Like she says it like that. <laughs> it, really, it really cracks me up because it's, it's just so different from my experience, but it's really cute. And I, I love the ownership of it. You know, she just is like, yeah, I did it. Now I read. And so <laughs> it's been amazing. Yeah, I love that. I love that. <laughs> okay, I wanted to shift gears a little bit. And we had a conversation on the podcast a couple of years ago. And I'll put the link in the show notes, uh, episode 201, in which we dove into self-care. Um I would love to hear how your experience has maybe evolved since then. And this episode is coming out in the new year. So, and I am one who loves kind of that new year energy as well. So I was hoping maybe you could touch on that in the self-care lens as well. (laughs) Sure. I love that new year energy. It's so fun. Um, So I feel like self-care is for me always changing as I'm learning about myself and unschooling is like all about learning about myself. So um, I feel like in the past couple of years, you know, the pandemic has really had a huge effect on everyone anxiety wise and just, you know, changes in our lives. And so I think that affected a lot of the routines that I had developed. The things that were working for me before the pandemic weren't necessarily working for me once all of that started. Um, And so, yeah, like it's shifted a lot to just listening to my body, telling myself there's no right and wrong. There's no one way there's, you know, and being okay with the, the food choices I make and the movement choices I make always changing. I mean, first of all, because I'm a scanner and I get bored with things, but also just because I'm in a different place every day. And so, um, you know, trying to be more in the moment with my self-care decisions rather than say, this is, this is the good thing to do. So I'm going to now do it every day, which just doesn't work when things get difficult or, you know, you know, if it just doesn't feel good anymore. Um, So I would say my focus self-care wise now is much more on like self-love or being accepting of myself, um, regardless of, of how I'm doing that particular day, you know, like if I'm having a hard day, it's okay. And if I'm having a great day, that's, it's okay too. Um, I'm really into personality quizzes. I got, I was um, reading a lot about the Enneagram this year and it was really helping me to accept some of these parts of me, my tendency in a lot of cases, um, you know, like with anxiety and things like that, my tendency would be to be like, what's wrong with me? Where now I'm viewing it as more of like, these are features of me. I'm sensitive in these ways. I absorb a lot of emotions, you know, from other people. Like these are just, it's features of my personality and not necessarily, you know, it's not something that's wrong with me. It's just some, it's just something about me. And so, um, I don't know, like that, I feel like that lens has changed the way that I view self-care and made it feel easier in a lot of ways. Like it's more expansive now. It's not as regimented or, 
um, like, it doesn't feel like there's a right and wrong. Again, I'm back yeah, to my, yeah. my paradigm shift of right and wrong. Um, and then something else I feel like it has been a bigger focus now is, is really having a supportive community as part of self-care. You know, I tend to want to handle things by myself and, you know, like, I don't know. I, I wasn't really using like checking in with people as part of my self-care and that has become a bigger um, part of my life in the last few years too. And so I would say that um, we coined this term self-care friend, like someone who can listen, but also is inspiring to keep growing. Cause I don't want someone who's just like, you're doing a great job period. You know, like you're a great mom. I like people who kind of challenge me a bit or inspire me to keep growing. And so um, the people I've met on the network have definitely helped me in that regard with my self-care. Um, and then we also in the network do the a self-care check-in every once in a while as a regular part of our monthly themes. And so that has helped me to just kind of think about, think about it more regularly. Um, and as for the new year, I love to set some intentions or think about like what kind of energy I want to bring with me into the new year. And I mean, realizing logically that any moment can be a fresh start if we want it to. But for me, the new year just has like that that special feeling about it. It's, and so I do like to choose a word of the year or like some, you know, mantra to go into it. Um, this past year I chose magic and it really was magical. So many magical things happened this year and it was fun to be, to kind of be open to that and really trying to notice the things that felt magical in my life. It was, it was kind of like a gratitude practice in that way um, to focus on magic. But this year I'm, I'm choosing do it <laughs> and just not just do it because that's trademarked, but do it. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think I'll get into all the possible meanings that it has for me, but I think it's great because it feels helpful in so many different areas. It could be about moving my body or eating things that feel good or having adventures, like really diving in and participating in life. And it just feels like that's a good energy to shift to after the pandemic years of maybe not doing all the things that I wanted to do or, you know, kind of living in that bubble a bit. So um, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> I feel like that might be peeling. Like for me, if I'm looking through the lens of using that, it would be like peeling back that layer around. I I tend to, to analyze things a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. And it just reminds me to, you know what? You don't need to predetermine whether this is going to be a good or bad thing, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> How is this going to work out? No, if I have the urge to do it, let's just do it and see what happens from there, right? You know, right, yeah. don't have to um, even even um, justifying it to myself. Like if something looks interesting, you know, just go ahead, go down the rabbit hole instead of like, Oh, do I have the time? What else is this? You know, you know, all those little rationalizations and, and things that we can put on ourselves um, to try and justify, especially, you know, it ties in with the scanner kind of personality as well too. the, the piece of, you know, if I'm going to spend time on this, do I need to make it productive or, you know, mm-hmm. all those little pieces. So I can see how do it just applies mm-hmm. in so many different ways. Right. I think it also could help me stay in the moment because mm-hmm. if I'm going to be listening to the kids talk about something, 
do that. You know, like I could tell myself, do it, listen to them then, you know, like don't like doing all the different things at once or thinking I should be doing something else while I'm doing this like that. It's just distracting and and hurts relationships. So I feel like, I don't know, it it seems to have a lot of layers that I'm excited about. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be so fun. Okay. So what is your favorite thing about the flow of your unschooling days right now, as they sit? Well, so you're saying the flow of our unschooling days, but I feel like my answer is that it's the flow of our <laughs> unschooling days because that's what our life feels like is this flow, which you mentioned when I talked about our interests, which was funny. Um, Cause it feels like we have this time that we're all together. And then we have these times when we're apart and um, the kids sleep schedules are always changing. Um, Maya's been doing a lot of experimenting on how late she can, or, you know, how many hours she could stay awake and then how many hours she would sleep and these different kinds of things. And it is so interesting, but then it also ends up having this effect on all of our lives where it's like, and sometimes we're alone and sometimes we're together. And sometimes I sleep alone. And sometimes, you know, like it's very, it's just fun that, that we can have days like that and that we can all choose what we want to do with our time and how, you know, like how we want our days to go and all individually get to choose that for ourselves within our, our family. And I asked Maya the question, what she loves about our unschooling life. And she said that she gets to make choices about what to do and what to eat and when to sleep. And that she knows a lot of kids don't get to choose so much. And, and then she said, well, I think that I have the best life. And it was so cute. And then I said, well, I think that I have the best life. And then Josh was there and he's like, I think I have the best life. And that's what it feels like. We all live together, but we all have our own version of the best life because we're able to choose what we want to do and how we want to be, who we want to be. We have the time and the space to do that. It's kind of you know, hard to even put it into words, but it's just like it, this feeling of spaciousness in my mind. When I think about our unschooling days, like we aren't adding these external pressures and timelines and schedules to our days. It just feels like space. There's no rush. There's no right way we could try things. They can try things that I'm not so sure about. We can figure things out together. I can learn and grow. They can learn and grow. We're all different, but we have a chance to see what it's like to live together. It's just always interesting and it's fun to see what happens next. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I especially love the uh, our best life. Like each individually, we have the space to be able to choose the thing. So we all feel like we're living our best life. I love that so much. (laughs) Okay, our last question. From your perspective, where you are right now, what has been the most valuable outcome from choosing unschooling so far? I think it has to be the gift of learning about ourselves, like that all of us have the gift of learning about ourselves. I think mainstream childhood takes that away from children in a lot of ways. They don't have the time and space to learn about who they are and what they like and who they want to be. And I think I think that we think that that's what school is supposed to help with, mm-hmm. but I think it, school ends up actually being pretty distracting. So I just love to see like how well we all know ourselves now and how much we have grown. Um, 
I think, you know, hearing about Josh's students and thinking about my own young adulthood, it's like, it's a common thing to joke about how unprepared young adults are for living in the real world. And so I just think it's so valuable to live in the real world from the beginning and to have the experience of having made all of these, you know, both important choices and also all of these millions of inconsequential choices from the very beginning. And I just think that my kids will be so far ahead of me at the same ages when they're going out into the world. And that is very exciting to think about. And I'm also just so grateful to be surrounded by unschooling community, like the network. It just feels like this web of love and connection and support and friendship that's like literally around the world. And I'm learning more about myself all the time, learning how to be in relationship and how to communicate. Um, It's just, it's a huge gift and being surrounded by people who are wanting to learn and grow and who are practicing empathy and practicing validation and are just so kind to their families and to their children. It's so inspiring. And it, it just feels amazing to just be like, this is what my life is like. This is incredible. And we're just, I don't know. I feel like we're so lucky. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Learning about ourselves. And yes, I mean, for me too, the network is just just so inspiring. Just so nice to see other families. Like our lives are all full of challenges. Like we've been talking about throughout this call and, um, you know, and we're diving into people's challenges when they bring them there. Yet the fact that they're diving into them and that their kids are fully part of the conversation and fully part of, of what they're considering, you know, important and valuable and the connection with them, like that all that is at the forefront. So even when you're talking about the hard things, even that is still inspiring, right? It's just so many people caring and, and wanting to lean into doing that kind of work. Right. Right. It's, it's a completely different way of approaching problems than you can find, you know, in, in mainstream, like parenting life. Like usually it would be like the parent has this challenge. Let's figure out how to get the kids to shape up, you know, and, and solve the problem that way. And, you know, not even ever questioning anything. And so, yeah, it's, it's really inspiring to be around people who are taking the needs of the children seriously, really listening, and then being willing to change themselves and being willing to, you know, listen to the other members of their family. It's just, it's really different and it's really, yeah, inspiring. Yeah. And it is so inspiring too, to be, to kind of witness people's journey too, like after a few months as they're, as they're moving through all this stuff and peeling back those layers and seeing those aha moments that come, it is, it is so fun. And you take care of the book club (laughs) in the network as well. Um, And we have that book club episode that you talked about, you've done in person and now you're doing it with, with inside the network. And thank you so much for that. It's so interesting to read these books through the lens of unschooling right and to to it's playing with the ideas is it's just so fun and so interesting and so many aha moments can come like when you're least expecting them right this little seed like it's like seed 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 and then there's just at some point that you can't predict it blossoms it blooms it's like oh you know this makes so much sense so 
And it really surprises me because I feel like I, I understand this. I've been learning about this for so long, but yeah, still it's like each, I feel like each theme that comes up, I'm like, wait a second. Like there's something that I hadn't quite like wrapped my head around or just some new phrase or mantra or just some new question. And yeah, it, there's always more to peel back and more to learn. So I just love it. Always, always, always. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Erica, I know I'm falling all over my words because I'm very excited. I had so much fun. I really appreciate you taking the time to put your thoughts together and to chat with me. Thank you. It was so fun. Thank you for having <laughs> it me. Was. And before we go, where can people connect with you online? On the network. On the network. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really is probably the place I spend the most time. I'm on Instagram as Hello Erica Ellis, and then I'm on the Living Joyfully Network. So beautiful. Thanks so much. And we will put the links in the show notes to both of those. Thanks Thank again, you. Erica. Have a wonderful Thank day. You. You Bye. Bye. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the growing podcast archive. The conversations never go out of date. You can find more information about my books, the Living Joyfully Network online community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit online course at my website, livingjoyfully.ca.